getting their numbers right, making sure your make break number is correct. Because operating on the wrong numbers is another fatal sin for a lot of practice owners. They just operate on the wrong numbers. Cash is coming in, so why isn't there more of it? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, part of the FedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today the money guy is Eric Miller, co-owner of Econologics Financial Advisors. He has spent years working with medical professionals, dentists, physical therapists, physicians, but also, yes, veterinarians. And one big thing he noticed when he hit the animal hospital world running is, wow, that's a lot of money going in and going out every day. No waiting around for health insurance or the government to reimburse. Wow. So then what does happen when there's a cash flow crunch? When expenses and revenues get too close? When owners and other stakeholders aren't receiving revenue for running a business? Well, first, Eric, I seem to start a lot of these. It's like I just received a text from a stranger. Hey, new phone. Who dis? I've had a love for healthcare people for just because my family is in healthcare. Who is that? Dentists, physicians, nurses? My mom was a nurse and pretty much my whole family's a nurse. And I did understand the impulse to want to help people. And that was like, I grew up with that. And then when I, you know, I became a financial advisor just because I, I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. And usually when you're from where I'm from, which is Toledo, Ohio, it's kind of a blue collar town. It's a lot of unions, teachers, you know, police officers. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do that. So I fell into always liking finances and personal finances. And then, you know, my training as a financial advisor was pretty much what, I don't know what you expect when you hear a financial advisor. A lot of people think Wall Street, you know, mutual funds, like all this other stuff. And I'm like, all right. And I got training like that early on, like, you know, how to manage money and investments and all that. But that really wasn't what drove me. I wanted to make a meaningful difference in people's lives. I wanted to work with people who I believed in what they did. And it really came down to, and I knew that having a niche was really important as being a financial advisor. It's really, I think it's key to have a niche in who you deal with as far as your clientele is concerned. And that just kind of led me down, you know, uh, healthcare practitioners and veterinary practitioners. And um, I just love the help that they give. And I know that a lot of veterinarians and people associated in the veterinary field, they struggle with money. They struggle with finances. They struggle with how to control it. They struggle with how to manage it. And I at least wanted to alleviate that stress off their lives by showing them how to better manage their finances. But then I learned early on that I didn't know squat about how their practice ran. If you have a net of money, you knew how they could invest that in places. Sure. I understood that part, how to get out of debt quicker, you know, some asset <laughs> yeah, protection right. and all that. But I, the thing that I was completely missing was just how much cash flow went through a veterinary practice on a year-by-year basis. And this was their biggest investment. I mean, the amount of money that most owners invest in their practice is monumental. Lots of money, lots of risk. And I had to figure out how to utilize this practice to benefit their household. You know, how do we do that? And that's what I just kind of immersed myself in like, how does a vet practice work? You know, what are the, what are the margins? What are the income sources? 
what are their biggest expenses? What are their challenges? What are their cost of goods sold? What, you know, all this stuff. Because I wanted to learn about the investment aspect of running a veterinary hospital. In the human healthcare arena of clients, other clients you sort of cultivated, were most of them employees and not business owners themselves or not involved in being capital owners in their medical practices as much? Most of the people that we interact with are owners, but at some point in time, they were practitioners and they worked as practitioners. And, uh, you know, you go to school to learn how to be a practitioner, but you never went to school to learn how to be a good executive or a good owner or any of those things. So that was, um, I learned that pretty early on too, as far as like, where the financial education kind of, where did people learn about finances? And you didn't learn it in school. It was usually school hard knocks. (laughs) That was a lot of it. Making poor choices and just, uh, or parents or somebody like that. Wait, even for the human medical people, they also don't get good personal finance and business ownership <laughs> uh, stuff in their schooling? No. no. <laughs> no. They're okay. even worse. The, the humans are even, <laughs> They're even the worse. The humans are no worse. Way. Oh my gosh. The mistakes that people make with money, it doesn't matter whether you make 200000 a year, 100000 a year, or $2 million a year. We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of them. So, But it's funny. I want to help alleviate this problem as far as personal finances for at least in the veterinary space because I just love the industry. I mean, I have pets. I love pets. It's such a great industry. I want to make sure people at least have a place to go to for good information. So that's why we immersed ourselves in this industry. So there was some learning curve where you're like, I need to understand how the money's coming in, yeah. flowing through, and heading out of this probably independently owned veterinary practice. What did you notice? What did you think going in? Like, I think a veterinary practice is going to run like this. Like, I imagine X sort of margin. I imagine the money goes to this and this and this. Was there anything that surprised you when you first did your first deep dives into financials at places? I realized that the a lot of the owners really just tried to, to keep the finances. I don't want to do that. I just want to practice. <laughs> I don't have anything to do with that. And I'm like, okay, but look, you know, I go, you got kids? They're like, yeah. I go, you ever been to a mall with a toddler and you took your attention off of it for like two seconds and that kid's in like six stores, right? Like down and you don't know where they're at, right? <laughs> They're like, yeah, I remember that. I go, your money is just like a toddler at the mall. You take your attention off of it for a minute and you have no idea where it's going to go. And I was really surprised about the number of times that I heard people get ripped off. You know, I'm sure you probably had heard that experience of owners getting embezzled and ripped off. And I'm like, wow, why is this? The frequency is so high. And so you're talking about kind of lacking internal, when you're talking about that embezzlement, lacking internal controls. Internal controls, saying, yeah. Oh, some outside company came and ripped us no, up. No, yeah. I mean, it's in, it's internal controls of, you know, people just, they let the organization, I learned two really simple rules early on about money in organizations. The first rule is that organizations <laughs> are crazy. <laughs> uh, and when I say that, meaning that they will try to spend every dollar that they make and then some. If you allow a group to make financial decisions, you're dead. I mean, take a look at the Congress and the amount of debt that we have. I mean, when you have a group trying to make financial decisions, then they're always going to try to spend everything that they make and then some. That's number one. The other kind of interesting thing that I saw is that 
but a group will make the money it thinks it needs to make to survive. So they're kind of these two conflicting things. If you really understand how to utilize those two for your benefit, then everybody can win in the organization from the staff to the owner. If you really understand those two basic concepts, then you can win. But these are some things I had to learn on, you know, just by trial and error and working with the finance side of it, which is what's interesting. Those two things you described make me think of those experiments they've done are actually from wounds where people have their left and their right part of their brain separated. Yeah. And one side is seeing something and makes up stories about what it's seeing because the other side can't process it. You describe these two things, which seems like they should be intertwined, which is one is we know we have, we have a survival instinct. Yeah. We know we need to make good money at this veterinary practice so that we can all stay employed. We can help the animals, yep. we can get all the medicine we need, get all the equipment we need. We know we have to do that. So we're going to work. We're working hard to make money. And then on the other side, you're saying there's this other thing that's just almost decoupled from that, which is. If we have the money, we should spend it. Where do you think, where does that break happen? It has to go. It has to go. It has to go. So, okay, it has. Why? When a group gets together and makes decisions, I think there's an irrational component to the group making. I don't think they mean to do that. It's just kind of like a. Right. Individually, yeah. nobody would individually say that's what they're yeah, doing. Yeah. But, you know, group, the whole group concept, group thinking. So that's why I think it's important that from a financial perspective, it really is, you know, you have to have like one person in charge of the finances and they do have to be able to say no sometimes and have control over them. But my point in saying that is like a lot of owners just were like, I, I don't want to do this part. I just, I'll, I'll, you go ahead and do it. And that was, I think your question was like, what are some things that I saw that, that were surprising to me? Right. That was one of them. The other thing too, I think, was how much they don't look at it as an investment, but more so a job. I saw that as well. We got that cliche. The One of the cliches that has been bandied around is a lot of times veterinarians buy a practice because they're just buying a job. Yeah. So I want to practice in this area. I'm going to buy this practice. And that means I'll get to do what I want to do. I want to be a veterinarian. That's my job. And so I'll buy this place and I'll buy myself a job. I'll be there for as long as I want. And it's my place. That is exactly right. It's like one of the original, I call them the original sins. That's one of the original sins of practice owners and their financial decisions is that they think that this is a job and not an investment. So if they're bringing you in, is it typically because they are sort of information gathering about, I'm thinking about selling, I feel like I should be getting more money out of this, but I'm not, or I don't look at personal finance, so I finally decided I'm going to go get some help on this because I don't want to look at it. Do you feel like there's a general, are all those happening? Is there one more common than the other? Why people come to you eventually? I think people come to us, number one, you know, because they know that I understand their practice. And I think that's important to veterinarians. And I, I think it is because I uncover a lot of, or recover a lot of money that gets lost every single year in this gigantic practice. And, and money does get lost. I mean, not like, you know what I mean? It's physically lost, but it gets spent in places, right? right? <laughs> so I show them how to recover some of this. And just by doing that, you know, it's literally hundreds of thousands of dollars that a person can recover that unfortunately their advisor who isn't really trained in understanding their business because they do other things. That's where I think the value comes into play. When you say they hand off, I'm curious, is it typical 
that they've handed off to a kind of money-minded practice manager who, in addition to management stuff, also helps them with the money? Or are you saying they kind of hand the practice over to a bookkeeper and a bookkeeper is not really responsible for managing it? They're just responsible for making sure your books are... I think it could be a combination of both. I mean, there's really a lot of good practice managers that really care about the practice for 100%. Like, it's definitely... On a grand scale, I mean, the level of embezzlement is probably small percentage, but it does happen. When it does happen, it's like, you know, it's like an airplane going down. It's like, you know, it's it's big. But I think for the most part, a lot of them do give up control to the practice manager of the finances. And I'm okay with that because I don't want the owners to have to like do the bookkeeping or do any of those things. They have to understand like some basics, some basic like, okay, we're spending this much. This is how much percentage-wise is going towards staff pay and, and cost of goods sold and you know bonuses and profit and all those things. So I think they just have to have an idea about what that looks like and have some controls in place. Like there's a purchase order system. Like if somebody wants something, it has to go through a certain you know procedure, not just, yeah, let's just go get that right now because you know everyone thinks we need one. You know, it's, it's one of those things where there needs to be some controls in place. I think you, you used that word earlier. I like that. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. So in a situation where somebody's gathering information, think they could be doing a little better. I don't really feel like their feet are being held to the fire. They're not having, they're not in an emergency situation. Yeah. But, you know, a topic you pitched that I got super excited about, because I know this does come up, that a lot of cash flows in. There's a lot of stuff that gets bought that gets used all the time, medicine and all kinds of things. And the staffing also, obviously, money comes in, money goes right out in salaries. Money comes in, money goes right out for pharmaceuticals. And so it's just money in, money out, money in, money out. And right now, I feel like we're at this time where there's a lot of practices are flush with business. Yep. So there's so much demand that if their controls are bad or they're not managing cash very well or not managing inventory or staffing well, things are going fine because they have plenty of money to just keep throwing and rolling through the river. So my question is, you know, you mentioned how to prevent and salvage a cash flow crunch. Yeah. If it's not happening now, I would prefer that they start thinking about cash flow crunch now before a recession, even though industry is very recession-proof. At some point, you will experience a cash flow crunch because of something. What are some steps they could take to prevent that? Just very top level. What should they think about if I want to make sure this doesn't happen? You know, the first and foremost thing that I would always do, and I think this is in a function of of an owner, okay? 
is to make sure that everyone understands the purpose and the mission of the organization. Look, I think it's very easy when things are going okay to like, you know, not remember that this is a group and this is a team and it has to function together. And I will tell you that the very first time that when someone comes to me and says, we're having cash flow issues, yeah, I will generally say to that person, look, you got to make sure that everybody understands what the purpose, because people are motivated. Of course, people like money. I'm sure they are. I just don't think it's, <laughs> sure. it's not as high in the motivation level as duty or, you know, some other purpose, right? So you really, you ha as the owner have to make sure that everybody understands the purpose of the organization first and foremost. Like guys, here's why we're here. Okay. We're here to, you know, whatever it is, like, what is the purpose right. of the organization? What is the mission of the organization? I think that's, that's the first thing that I would do always consistently do always do when there's a cash flow crunch, then what do you do next? Well, number two, I think you have to make sure you understand what the numbers are of the organization. And what I mean by that is that we talked about expenses, right? We talked about cost of goods. We talked about over staff pay, rent, all those things. And when I ask an owner like what your make break number is, they will generally give me the number that includes all those things and okay. nothing else, right? As their make break number. I think when you hear that term, you're thinking the least amount that I need just to get by. Okay. Yes. And when I look at a make break number, that's not how I count a make break number. I include your owner profits. I include money going into reserves, expansion, taxes. I include all those. There's like four accounts that I have every owner set up and assign an allocation of money towards because they're all extremely important. And if these things aren't factored in, to what the business thinks it needs to make, it's not going to make them, you know, which goes back to that original point. The business will make what it thinks it needs to make to survive. And if I embed those things in there, then I know that my buffers are being accounted for. And that's the magic right there. I mean, that is the secret sauce of how we create solvent practices right there is that I put their profits in, treat them like an expense, Make sure there's <laughs> right. an allocation towards them, but they are for, you know, things that the owner has to deal with, which is, look, you know, I mean, veterinarians got lucky that their businesses didn't get shut down during the pandemic. A lot of others did, right? Yeah, there was a risky few weeks where state by state, yeah. people were like, are we going to get shut down? And what, what happens if you don't have any money in reserves? I mean, there's only so much PPP money you can depend upon. And if you don't have, you know, reserves, then the organization is in peril. Same with taxes. I mean, every once a year I get a call from a veteran. Well, my, my accountant just said I owe, you know, 50,000 in taxes. And I'm like, you knew that was going to happen. Why didn't you allocate money from the business? Cause it, you know, you're on the hook personally from the profit of the business, make sure you have a tax account. Right. And then I always get the question of like, well, I'm nervous to expand or I want to, you know, do something, I, you know, because I don't know if I can afford to. Well, why don't we have an expansion account for reinvestment back into the staff, training, all those things. So getting their numbers right, making sure your make-break number is correct, because operating on the wrong numbers is a, another fatal sin for a lot of practice owners. They just operate on the wrong numbers.
I think I'm overly naive because I think about my own personal budgeting yeah. and about how the budgeting software I use encourages me to do that. And it, it was a helpful lesson, but that feels like such a basic lesson. And I'm not happy that you're telling me <laughs> high functioning, brilliant doctors of animal medicine are kind of saying their make break number is how to keep the doors open each day. Like that's it. Just with basically no reserve and no growth. So no emergency and no future. And no payment to them as the one that established right. the organization, right? And took all the risk. There needs to be like a payment to them from the business for that because they established the business themselves. And um, that's another thing too. I mean, I, I have this, look, I, I tell owners the first 10% of the practice revenue is designed for them to channel to their household so that they can create other income sources. You asked me how it is that we get other people to build uh, assets outside of their practice. That's the way to do it. It's not detrimental to the business, although a lot of owners think, owners don't like to take money out of their business. They hate it. That's another thing I learned. They feel like they're doing something wrong when they do that. And I'm like, but why? your names are on all the mortgage notes. I go, if you get sued, you know, you're on the hook for that. You know, I mean, you took an enormous amount of risk to put this thing here. You have to, I go, you got to love yourself enough to pay yourself. And I think that's something that a lot of owners don't do enough of. Do you think it's more, this is asking for psychological speculation, but do you (laughs) think it's more, as you said there, which is I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Or is it like, I don't want to be the boss or feel like I own the kind of business or corporation that I hear about in the news that like siphons money. All that money should go back to the people. All that money should go back to the business and nothing should come to me. So I don't know. What do you, do you get a feel for what people, when they come back and say why they didn't do it? Well, see, and I agree with that. I, I mean, you need to take care of your staff. You need to make sure that you reward people. You need to make sure that you acknowledge people. You need to make sure, but the first and foremost, you got to make sure this business can function and stay there. And when you put these allocations in these accounts that I'm talking about, that ensures that people, you know, because part of that allocation is a business expansion and development fund that we talked about, right? That I think should get reinvested back into staff training. You can put it for bonuses. You can, whatever you want to do, you know, but I absolutely think that you should be able to do both. You should have enough money to reinvest back into the business and reward your staff and pay them well. Because if you do pay them well, I don't like these owners that pay their staff crap. Okay. I go, you may, you may think you're winning right now, but that's not sustainable. You have to pay your people. As in the staff looks happy and they can hire people, but you look at it and go like, benchmarked against your competitors, this is rough. You really need to make sure that you acknowledge your staff and set a reward system up and pay them and reward them. And, you know, make the place nice. Do certain things that reinvest back in the business, but there does need to be a, you know, if you look at all the the big corporations, and I know that some people can't stand them and, you know. Sure. Yeah. And there is something to be said about like some of the things that they do. One thing that they do do though, they do understand the concept of like the parent company because most of them have like a parent company. So when you look at like a household, I look at as a household as a parent company and then the business is an asset of the parent company. It needs to provide a profit for the benefit of the household, but it shouldn't be done at the expense of everybody else. It should be done so that it without you know, you still need to reward your people for what they do a hundred percent. 
it sounds like with cash flow, the first thing you say, hey, let's make sure everybody knows what we're doing here. And you're not telling them what that should be, but make sure everybody's clear on the purpose. So when they go and spend money or they go and try to earn money, we all know what we're doing, why we're doing this, why the money comes in, why the money goes out. Yep. And then also, hey, budgeting, you need to budget for emergencies, you need to budget for the future. So once you get into the nitty gritty, are there issues with cash flow that you've seen at a veterinary hospital that cause particular problems on the balance sheet on the bottom line and ways that overall they could be tweaked? Are there usually things that come up? They're usually overspending on this. They're usually underspending on this, anything like that. I certainly think that a lot of them are inventory control is a tough one. I think a lot of uh, owners definitely uh, will tend to overspend in that area right there. You know, when I see if I get an animal hospital that spend like 30% on cost of goods sold, that's just a, that's an indicator right there. It's like, wait a minute, that's a little bit more than what your range should probably be. But uh, that's certainly one, you know, I think when it comes to staff pay, you know, you have to keep it in a certain range, but again, you know, it's not going to be like a, Oh my gosh, I'm at, you know, 40% or 42%, you know, I gotta, I have to get rid of somebody. No, 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 no. You just need to make sure that your the people understand exactly what their jobs are. Another thing that I tell owners when they're in a cash flow crunch is like you got to make sure people a hundred percent understand what their role is in the business and they know exactly what their job is. Because there's a tendency, I think, when people aren't getting their products inside the organization, a lot of them just don't know what they're supposed to be doing. You know, and that's another thing that you can do as like, especially from like a practice manager point of view, like if I'm a practice manager and I notice that our cash flow is starting to dwindle a little bit, okay, you know, if I'm in charge of like the team and coordinating the team, let's get them back in communication with one another. Let's get them coordinated. Let's get the mission, the purpose. Then let's just make sure that everybody really understands what their job roles are and responsibilities. It's kind of like, I noticed you have a Super Bowl uh, shirt on there. I don't know who that is. That... <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. It's for the Patriots who are now not so great. Perfect yeah. example right there, right? <laughs> oh, it is great. Oh, the page right. The Patriots are great. And now? Perfect example. <laughs> but if you remember, like, even when the Patriots ever had a bad game, okay, yeah, you would always hear the coach, you know, saying, we got to get back to basics, right? Let's get everyone back to basics. So it's the same thing in business. If they're having a tough month in production wise, guys, we just need to get back to basics. Everybody knows exactly the front desk. This is what you guys schedule people, make sure people stick to their appointments, you know, vet techs, make sure you are organizing, you know, everything, making it easy on the doctors so that they can deliver. And then the, the doctors make sure that you are, you know, delivering good medicine. Let's increase the speed, you know, cause speed kills, when it comes to money, it's like really, you know, let's increase the, the speed in which we deliver our things, let's step it up a little bit, you know, simple things like that. And then, you know, let's make sure that we are the, the income or the, the services that we're delivering. This will go into the, the, I think the second topic that we talked about, let's make sure the services that we're delivering are profitable, that people want, there's a demand for them and they're easy to deliver. And those are some of the characteristics that we would look at, you know, let's make sure that we're delivering. Cause I think if you look in a veterinary hospital, I mean, what's, what's the highest demand service usually? Is it like spay neuter? I mean, depends on practice. Some focus on wellness, yeah. well, some have spay neuter, right. some shove spay neuter yeah. out, but you're right. Surgeries and procedures surgeries. are usually 
Yeah. A good ROI. Yeah. Exactly. So let's just make sure that we're delivering those services that have pretty decent profit margins are fairly easy for us to deliver and we can do them and people want and people need it. Right. So it's like, those are things that you would look at when you're trying to, to solve a cash flow crunch. And then, uh, you know, I'd also look at rooting out, is there a person in the organization that is causing some of the chaos that's going on? From a practice manager perspective, I always try to make sure that the practice managers, you know, okay, is, is there someone that may be creating a little havoc? Maybe they're doing a little, they're being a little too critical. Maybe they're trying to cause some infighting. You know, I learned the two miracles of business early on too. I'll tell you these. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll give you the golden rules of income and expenses on the, the two miracles that we've learned of business ownership. Number one, the first miracle of business was the day that the first patient showed up, right? You're like, oh my God, like this actually may work, right? <laughs> and then the second miracle, which is, I swear, I have no idea why this happens. I mean, I think I have an idea, but it's the day that you get rid of that toxic person in your organization. Like when you finally get them out. Okay. And it is amazing what happens to the group when you finally identify and discover that person that really is not there to be part of the group. They're just there to destroy it in some way, shape, or form. And once you find them and get rid of them, which isn't an easy thing to do, by the way, but it is amazing what happens to the production and the statistics and the morale. So I do tell owners, like, you have to look and see, like, are you getting pushback from, you know, somebody or, or is there somebody that's creating a toxic culture in the organization? That's something that an owner needs to inspect and look at because it does have an impact on the finances. A hundred percent. Is there a number? So a lot of the thing you mentioned are wonderful management yep. leadership stuff, which is perfect. Is there a numbers tweak that you're like, man, every practice I go into, if they just tweak this, go right in, turn this dial down, turn this dial up. Is there anything when they look at all their money, they're like, that's the thing they should tackle first? Or is it just so different practice to practice? It is going to be a combination of things that you're going to have to do. It really is. And so it's never one magic bullet. You're going to have to change multiple things. I think some things have more importance than others. Like finding out what your actual number is of what the business needs to do is really important because again, if I told you like, I don't know if you have kids or not, but like if, okay, like your child, if you don't get this money, then, you know, your child's going to die. Okay. That's extreme. Yeah. Right. You would figure out a way to do it. Okay. There's a necessity now that I just put on you for that. Okay. So when you have the right number, you create the necessity for the organization and it's never really that hard. Like if I, like when I go in there and I say, look, you know, your make break number is a hundred thousand, but it really needs to be 120,000 a month when we factor all these things in. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Blah, 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 blah. Right. How are we yeah. going to find another $20,000? I mean, if we could get 20000 we already would have done yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, okay, there's 23 days, working days in a month for most people. Are you telling me that you cannot find a couple patients or things in one of those days where you could make a... And then I just, I give them the problem. And one thing I know is that they'll solve it once they see that it can be done. You got to break it down into like a day. And it's like, oh, oh no, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that in a day. 
And that definitely changes a lot of things right there. But um, I don't think it's any one thing. Like, I mean, okay, yeah, you can dial down the cost of goods sold. You can get inventory control. That'll make a difference. You know, you can make sure people know what they're supposed to be doing and, and getting them. You can that that would make a difference, you know increase the promotion that you're doing, make sure that, you know, people are referring and make sure that, you know, you can increase the promotional activities that would make a difference. I think it's, it's a combination of doing all these things that's going to allow for the turnaround to occur. And that's what we've tended to find when we're trying to salvage an organization, so to speak. Want to learn more about cash flow problems? Visit econologicsfinancialadvisors.com forward slash cash flow crunch. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know I appreciate you.